Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and on this show, we talk about how complicated the healthcare industry is. We liken it to a 30,000-piece puzzle, and every one of our guests has an opportunity to share their expertise and the piece of the health IT puzzle that they carry. So I would like to welcome today's guest, Brittany. Could you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Brittany Barreto. I am a geneticist by training, serial entrepreneur, and venture capitalist. So that means I've built companies, I've invested in companies. But that whole time, I was in different industries until I discovered Femtech in 2019. Absolutely fell in love with innovation in women's health and wellness and dedicated my life to it for the last three years. So excited to tell you more about what I've done and the piece that I represent, which I think is like a whole critical section. Like it's it's like a corner piece, in my opinion, <laughs> to healthcare. I can't wait to hear more about it because I feel like you have had some amazing conversations with women in femtech. Uh, you have a podcast of your own and you also just are a wealth of knowledge. So I kind of just want to geek out with you for a bit. <laughs> I love it. This is literally my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> okay, so tell me some of the highlights from the last three years. And I mean, we can talk about your journey, but it sounds like a lot has happened in the last three years. So can we focus on that? I would go from first... I in 2019, I told people I was interested in femtech and they said, oh, you love fintech? And I'd say, no, femtech. And they'd say female founders. And I'd say, well, I mean, predominantly, but that's not the point. And so today I say femtech and people are like, oh, that's so great. You're in women's health. So right then and there, three years, 36 months, like a dramatic change in people's awareness of what the heck I'm talking about, right? We do see a further refinement of the industry, Femtech, right? So uh, Femtech Focus, my organization, my podcast, we do an annual landscape report and we're actually about to drop it in a few weeks. And we're actually breaking down women's health into three subcategories, Femtech, Femhealth, and Femcare. I can more than happy to talk about that. But I think all of that to say, like the industry is being recognized and being further defined. And the definition is required due to the amount of growth. We are growing so fast. We have so many companies. We have so much activity that women's health or femtech is just not, it's such a broad term, right? The 30,000 foot view thing that we were talking about, right? 
Women's health is so complex that we need to further define it. I would say that's like, it's like the biggest thing over the last three years. It's just this growth that we've seen. Can we talk about those three categories? Yeah, yeah let's, totally. let's, like, let's get into it. So last year we published a landscape report and we said that the women's health industry was worth $1.1 trillion. So previously, and still to this day, a lot of people cite a Frost and Sullivan report that said that women's health was worth 50 billion, five zero B billion. Now, I always kind of had an issue with that because I knew that the pads and tampon market was 37 billion. And so I was like, well, how is women's health only like $14 billion more than pads, you know? And what we've come to discover is that people are defining it differently. Women's health could include therapeutic drugs, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars. But sometimes when you say femtech, people exclude drugs so that all of a sudden you're dropping by billions of dollars in that market value. And the reason having a number is really important is because founders are going to investors trying to convince them, hey, put some of your pennies over here because there's so much money to be had. And they say, how much money? And these founders need to say this much money, right? And so right now, founders are saying $50 billion worth of money, or they're saying $1.1 trillion worth of money. And it's actually really important for us to make strategic investments, acquisitions, et cetera. We need to base it on numbers. I'm really big on that, right? And so how do we further like define this? And so what my team and I've come up with is three categories. So we have the overarching term is women's health. And then we have femtech, fem health, fem care, as we're defining it right now. And that's kind of the cool thing is being a thought leader. I'm like, oh, wait, we can do it. We can do it. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Let me talk to a bunch of really smart people. And so far, like the feedback, this is how we've established it. Femtech is anything tech enabled. So think digital health apps, healthcare software, like things that investors love, very scalable, tech enabled. Fem health is anything in the clinic. So therapeutic drugs, medical devices used by doctors, diagnostics used by doctors and medical procedures. And the reason I clarified by doctors is because you can have at-home medical devices or at-home diagnostic tests, like a pregnancy test. We're considering that femtech, right? But if it's in the clinic and it's a diagnostic that uses gene sequencing to figure out if you have endometriosis, we're calling that fem health, right? That's very clinic. And then the last category is fem care. That's where you have your pads, your tampons, your diva cups. You have your consumer packaged goods, vagina safe lubricants, sex toys, even I call it logistics. So things like the mama va breastfeeding uh, booths. Oh yeah, I was uh-huh. always like, where the hell do we put that? Is it fem health? Is it fem tech? It's not tech. It's a room, but it's a company. And so we're putting it under fem care. And so that's how we're defining those three. What do you think? What do you think about the definition of those three? I like it. I mean, there's something that comes up for me, the pad and the tampon conversation. I'm just like, where does that land? And like, does it go under like, I agree with you. That's not really tech when people talk mm-hmm. about like advancements and exactly. period stuff. I'm like, oh, is that technology? I don't know. Yeah. But now like, if we say fem care, like that yeah, makes sense. That makes sense to me. And I also like that your nod to sexual health and sexual, like that's, I feel like that is a missing conversation that just doesn't come up as, as like self-care or things that matter. And so I like that it is included. 
Oh yeah, definitely included. Yeah. And you know, now we're tasked with trying to define the quant, like the value of each of those, those segments. And then I'm hoping next year we could go even deeper and actually help quantify the unique sub subcategories, right? Like what is the sexual wellness for female health market value, right? Like really getting down into the nitty gritty numbers because something I've realized is that like I can look up market sizes all day long by Googling it and like finding some report on sexual wellness. But like that report isn't defining whether or not they included digital health apps or erotica or lube or, you know, it doesn't define it. And it's also not teasing apart female and male. So yeah. it's so hard. I think one of the difficult aspects of what you do or the whole industry does is you get just you get stuck with marketing, right? You're trying to market yeah. these things and then they shut it down because there's this overlap with the porn industry. And you're just like, hey, sexual healthness and health and wellness isn't necessarily like we've been sold that it's somehow connected to porn. And then that is an issue too, a, a serious one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the it's the female dilemma right we're raised with this idea of chastity of like men take your virginity and you need to preserve it and you need to take contraception and you need to take responsibility and if you get pregnant that's on you and then all of a sudden we enter the fertility world and we're like have sex have lots and lots of sex and have it exactly at this time in this position with this lube and this device, you know, but we never really actually say it, but we're like fertility, fertility. We're literally just screaming sex. And then we have maternal health and postpartum. And all of a sudden it's like back to, you're not a sexual being, don't have sex. Right. And it's like, my God, the messages that we're giving uh, females in society is like, the extreme, like zero or a hundred, you know, like have no sex. And if you do, you're like an inappropriate woman. And then it's getting pregnant. It's like, have as much sex as possible, but also don't talk about it. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) No, it can really, like, it can really harm people actually and their mental health. I know some people who've left the Mormon church and and like got married late in later in life. And it was literally like what they were told up until the time they got married of just like, chastity be super pure and then to your point and it's like listen if you've been given a message your whole life it's not a light switch you don't all of a sudden just like flip a switch and then become an an insanely sexual being like yeah yeah. and you know and i'll share i'm i love to share authentically because i'm also like (laughs) i'm anti thirty thousand foot view conversations right i'm like i want to talk details so like for me i had experienced sexual abuse in my childhood and that led me to be somewhat more promiscuous and i thought the messaging i heard was that if you were sexually assaulted then you gain a lot of weight to keep men away Like that was, I don't know, probably a movie I saw or some kind of article I read. And so I thought I was actually being a bad survivor by being more sexually promiscuous. But actually, you know, in my many years of therapy now have in reading and et cetera, life experience, that's actually a really normal response for survivors of sexual abuse is to like engage more so in that and risky behavior. And so all the that goes to say, like all the messaging, whether it be like don't have any or you had some in the wrong way, someone put it on, whatever. At the end of the day, society says women's sexuality is the wrong way, you know? Right. I just want to let y'all know 
you can have any sexuality you want and all of it is right. All of it. There's no wrong answers. Yeah. Or right answers. So you sit in a very unique position and I imagine you get to talk to a lot of female founders about femtech and all of... Can we talk about that? Like, what are some of the things that you see from where you sit that you'd like to share? Oof, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And I am most excited about the um, new technology that's focused on accessibility including populations of people that have been overlooked. And I'll, I'll double tap into these, by the way. And then I'll say the last one is I'm really excited to see the new med, uh, diagnostic tools that are coming out because I think that's really critical to women's health success. So in terms of accessibility, I love that Femtech is being built and grown by female predominantly. And therefore, we have this inherent sense of equality that is a requirement in our innovations. And so I almost never see a Femtech company anymore that doesn't have diversity and inclusion as like a top priority. You know, they're always saying, hey, here's how our products work with the brown women and the black women, the white women, you know, whereas Unfortunately, a lot of advancements in technology prioritize the affluent white woman or the affluent white person. And then they're like, oh, wait, oops, we forgot about the people of color. I'm really proud of our industry that we're building that from like the first prototype. Like, hey, how does this address everyone's health, not just white women's? And then in terms of accessibility as well as is, is payments. So if you don't have a Medicaid strategy, over half the pregnancies in the United States are covered by Medicaid. And so we, I really see a, an effort in the innovators to come up with strategies for payments and billing and business plans that incorporate Medicaid and Medicare. So that's really important. And then the last part is that diagnostics piece, because even if you're sick, even if you go to the doctor, Unfortunately, we have this thing called medical gaslighting where doctors are like, oh, like you have pain during your period. That's normal. You must just be really sensitive or you like go just take out more Advil instead of saying, well, when you express these symptoms, I am trained to run this diagnostic test. The reason that's not happening right now is because there's no diagnostic tests. We have a huge lack of diagnostic tests, a lot of diseases in women's health are diagnosed after, you know, well, once you've been undiagnosed for 10 years and we've ruled out these other 50 conditions, then we end up diagnosing you with ovarian cancer, endometriosis, you know, like all these other diseases. And how much worse is it? Because you've been it's waiting. So much worse, yeah. <laughs> and so it's for me, I'm like, we can bypass medical gaslighting if we had protocols in place for diagnostic tools that med, you know, doctors just in med school got trained, patient exhibits these symptoms, run this test, right? And I think that would get us to faster diagnosis for women, better recovery times, you know, survival rates. And honestly, it's more money for doctors. They should want these things, right? Because like billing yeah. for a test is better than like I sent them home, told them to take Advil. Figure, suffer through it. You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. What do you think about those categories? Are the same things you've been seeing too? I mean, yeah, I'm trying. I think that's pretty inclusive. And I like the idea that it's not under all one umbrella. Like, I think that that does us a disservice in a lot of ways because it's it just makes it hard to focus. And so if there is a way that if somebody was trying to figure out their career or like a path within femtech that they could kind of take one of those paths and at least be more focused in yeah. or themed. No, I'm on board. I also am curious, well, I 
we're in a new landscape, right? And we're just like, we have had, speaking of access, we've had access taken away. So how are, what are you seeing? Like, how are people addressing it? Is it a technology thing? Is it a med, like, I continue to think about medical terminology or like, what are the ways that we can essentially fight for our rights in a like creative ways? Because it has to be. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because it's hard to say to even start this conversation because there's so many angles to it, right? Right. We are now in a country where depending on where you live, it is legal or illegal. And it could be illegal in different capacities from misdemeanor to federal murder, right? Like I think quite simply just trying to understand where you live and what's allowed anymore in itself is inherently tricky and hard. So we're not even just a country with one blanket policy. We're, we have all these different things. Then we have the issue of technology and data privacy. So now apps are saying, hey, should we even ask her if she missed her period? Should we even have her record her location? Should we even have her these, these things that were helping us, maybe helping her figure out if she had PCOS? Now right. could actually put her at risk for murder in case we just hazardly recorded her abortion, even if we didn't mean to, right? Like you can indirectly record that information via period dates, missed periods, you know, like trips to a certain geo-specific location that is also an abortion clinic. Like those things will inherently cause her to be targeted. So there's like a lot of questions about that. We're actually seeing a lot of conversations in the fertility industry and contraception. People think this is just about abortion. It's not. It's about maternal health, right? Women who are about to die from hemorrhaging and their physicians are like, oops, I have to wait till you lose X amount of blood before I can administer any kind of treatment because otherwise it would be considered like murder of your unborn baby, you know, like potentially. And so we have maternal health crises. We have contraception. So some states are trying to enact a rule saying that life starts at inception, right? When the, when the sperm and egg meet, that happens in your fallopian tube, y'all. Like we literally count pregnancy as the last day of your last period. And that is not when your egg even comes out, by the way. Your egg comes out at least like five days after that and then gets fertilized within the next three days and then doesn't implant into your uterine wall for another five days. So we actually consider your first two weeks of pregnancy prior to your egg even being implanted in your uterine wall. And so when we start to say like, oh, as soon as it's fertilized, you know, you can't get rid of it. It's like, well, then IUDs are illegal because the IUD is preventing an egg from implanting, a fertilized egg from implanting into the uterine wall. Are there states now? There are states now where having an IUD is, I have an IUD. I'm like, am I breaking the law just by existing? <laughs> there are, yes, there are. I don't know if any have actually gone into law just yet, but at least several states have written up. And I think this is why we need freaking sex ed because they are lacking this education of like what is fertile. Right. <laughs> what it, how does the female, how do fallopian tubes actually work? You know, because they're making it as if fertilization is life and therefore your IUD is like a giant machete that's quote unquote killing a baby, but which is two cells. I We release more cells in the shower. Right. <laughs> like, right. Than that. Obviously, I could keep going. Is there, no, I know. Like I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, and it like it's ang it's angering, but it and it's like how do we transform that anger oh, into a yeah. way that it is 
you know, meaningful and effective and impactful yeah. because the, like, it's like, I could be mad all day and it doesn't necessarily, like, I have personally come from a, a position of just like, you know, I used to be that one that would like show up at all the marches and, you know, scream the shouts and make the signs. And I'm like, I don't think that's the most effective use of my time. I now work in the healthcare industry and like what other influence or impact can I have? And I've, you know, and it's not, I don't know that that's much to be honest, but it, in, I think part of it is just having conversations and and being loud about it that this mm-hmm. is a problem and being yeah. loud that the, and 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 being loud that it's a continuous problem. It didn't just go away or like it was something that happened last June when you know Dobbs the Dobbs mm-hmm. case overturned Roe. It's like no, this is our new reality and it is changing constantly. And in order to navigate it, we have to empower people with the best information, tools, resources, so that they can make the best choices for their livelihoods. Yeah. And we don't do that. I think there's just so... We didn't do that well before. And now we're, it's like it's heightened, like the need yeah. for it. Yeah. I would say for those listeners are wondering, like, what can they do? I would say that one of the most power thing, powerful things that I have done and continue to do is just to talk openly about my abortion. I'm like, yep, I was 22. I was in college. I was living with my mom. I was dating a guy who worked at the local grocery store, like was not ready. Also was on medication at the time that is not approved for early fetal development. So there was a high risk that there was already issues. And like, I went through that process. It sucked. It wasn't great. Like, but I don't regret it. And it's, you know, I can't imagine what my life would look like today with that. And I think that one, normalizing the conversation, one in four women have it, right? And so by you opening up, it allows other women to feel like, oh, okay. It also lets men know like, oh shit, I know women who've had abortion because a lot of them think they don't, but they do. If you're a man listening, you know a woman who's had a miscarriage. You know a woman who has heavy menstrual bleeding. You know a woman who struggled to breastfeed. Like all of these things that you think you don't, that don't exist, the women in your life have them. (laughs) And so just like telling your story and telling it for me, it's come across way better, well more received. One, when it's my own story. And two, when I just, I come across as someone who they can ask questions to. Because what I have found is a lot of times men have questions. Men have questions. They're like, So like, what about abortion at nine months though? And I'm like, oh, so women don't get abortions at nine months. I promise you. Like if that happened, something was very, very wrong with the baby. And like just these like little inconceived notions that they have. Well, I think it's, there's platitudes that are made. There was some, there were some videos that were going around and it was before the election around like what men know about women's bodies. Like even just the questions of like, asking a, a row of men of like, do you know if women can pee if they have a tampon in? And many of them are just like, oh, I don't think that's possible. I think they'd have to take it out. And you're like, just the logistics of how anatomy works, that they are so like a misunderstanding of how our body, and you're just like, okay, they're the ones that are making these decisions. And it's harmful. So that is a very, very minimal word. It is harmful. And regardless of what your religious beliefs are, regardless of where you stand of what you would do versus what somebody else would do. Like my, my personal story is, you know, not particularly per is my best friend had an ectopic pregnancy and, you know, and she very much wanted that baby. It was, it was a wanted kid that she wasn't able, it wasn't viable. And, you know, it's happened to her three times. And, and and I'm just like, okay, so we're going to criminalize her for the fact that like her 
her egg was fertilized in a part of her body that it couldn't come to life. And then all of a sudden she's a freaking criminal. Like yeah. how? And I really do think that it's about anatomy, like learning the basics of the female body. And so I think talking openly about our bodies is really important because I don't think that men are sitting around like, actively not listening and like actively saying, I don't want to learn about the, actually, let me refer now that I'm talking it out loud. So here's the thing I want to bring up. I've been running women's health events, podcasts, meetups, da, 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 for three years. I have consistently found that over 80% of my audience is female and that the men in the room work in women's health already in some capacity. All the other men leave. So you and I yep. just saw each other in Las Vegas at the health conference, right? And there was these women's health panels and there were seats packed with 50% men, 50% women. As soon as the next panelist came up to talk about maternal health, it was like as if all of the men left, except for like the males that work in women's health. And I, and sometimes I ask men, why do you exclude yourself? Why didn't you attend this? Why did you leave? And they're like, oh, well, it's women's health. I wanted to you know, leave it to you girls. Like it's a girl's thing. It's a very common like very perception. Common. How do we yeah. change that? How do we I, change Because it's not well, a girl's thing. <laughs> it's not. I've been thinking the same thing. I'm just like, it's. I am so happy that there's more women taking the stage, but I look out in the audience and I'm like, okay, great. But now we're preaching to the choir. Now we are yep. just like, we're only talking to ourselves and that's not, that is great. It's progress, but there's so much farther that we need to go. It's like they exclude themselves and it's not out and it's, and I I never want to be like anti-men. Like I'm like, women's health includes men. Okay, y'all. So I'm not mad, but I'm, it's very curious to me that they see it as, as if we were back in fifth grade where they put boys in one room to learn about penises and girls in one room to learn about periods. How are we still at that level of like, oh, this is that's the girls and this is the boys. It's like, I don't understand at what what time what would need to happen, whether that be title changes or attitude changes, descriptions of the panel. I don't know. But how do we get the men to con sit in that chair? <laughs> you know, don't leave right. when the next panel is about fertility. Half of the issue is you. <laughs> you know, like, how did this become a women's only session? You know? Right. Sexual wellness. Why is it because we're not it just because we didn't say ED in the title, they're assuming it's just for girls, you know, and it's like, what? So anyways, well, we need more men. I feel like we could talk about this for <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like an all day conversation. But OK, are you seeing that people are addressing it in cure in creative ways that they are tackling it? Like, I guess I'd like to like, let's, let's kind of like focus on, we know how bad things can be, but what is offering us hope? I mean, yeah. in this time, like, is there anything that you're seeing that is just like, okay, let's, well, at least we're on the right track here. So I even have male interns at my organization that are volunteer and they're just like, all in on women's health. They think it's super important and they're just here curious. You know, we have a monthly book club that we have men to come to and they say like, these books are literally teaching me about half the population. I didn't know half of this stuff, right? I love it. And so I do see male engagement. It is happening. Something else that's encouraging is the new form 
formation of organizations around the world supporting women's health. So previously there was like maybe five major organizations, Femtech Focus, Women of Wearables, Femtech Insider, that were really leading the charge in terms of like communicating women's health news. But now we have Femtech Canada, Femtech France, Femtech Now, Femtech Israel, Femtech India, right? And so it signals to me that there's enough activity happening that we can now start to have localized organizations. There's Femtech Los Angeles, Femtech Atlanta. So we're seeing like, wow, there's so much activity in a, even a certain concentrated country or city that we can have activities around it. And that's really encouraging to me because these activities will hopefully include men and those men will go into their communities and we can, you know, be at the Las Vegas health conference all we want, but we're talking to health professionals, right? We need, yeah. we need to go out in the community. So I'm really excited about those grassroots organizations and I'm really excited about, you know, the uh, amount of startups that are fundraising and fundraising successfully. It's still a drop in the bucket, but like Maven clinic just rose another $90 million. Like, Having examples like that to say, no, 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 really, this is possible. We can be unicorns. It, the more examples we get of that, the better. So, okay, you're involved in a lot. You said you have a podcast, you are facilitating conversations, you have a book club. Like, what is the, what is the universe <laughs> that you live in? It's just like pretty complex, but awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So Fem, Femtech Focus is my organization and we have a podcast called Femtech Focus. We have a virtual community. You can join it through our website. And we have events. So we do an annual virtual summit. We are actually spinning out a new company called Fem Health Insights, which is our market research piece. So I've always been very passionate about measuring the market, quantifying it, maintaining databases of companies and exits. So we are launching essentially like a femtech version of PitchBook. And then I do dabble in, in investing with Coyote Ventures. And so admittedly, like... I love the data part so much. So I'm really excited about our research offerings. That's awesome. Okay, so it sounds like you have something that's landing soon. Where would we find it? Right now, you can just subscribe to Femtech Focus because it'll be the sister company to Fem Health Insights. So Femtech Focus is my founder-facing organization. Fem Health Insights will be my corporate-facing. But you'll learn about Fem Health Insights through Femtech Focus. And you okay. may think, oh, that's unattainable to me. How am I going to get access to that platform? Platform. If she's talking about PitchBook, it's expensive. Something I'm doing is actually providing free access to all femtech companies for the platform. Our price is going to be around twenty thousand a year, but free access for women's health companies because it's the right thing to do. Y'all need the numbers to make a successful business. Yeah, it's just the right thing to do. It's like, well, yeah. are you somebody? Have you sat on both sides of the pitch conversation of like seeking money and giving? I I would love to learn more about that. Like, what is that experience like on either side of it? Because that's something that unique that not everybody has the opportunity to experience. Yeah. Uh, what I'll say is that founders, you are the smartest person in the room. The first time I fundraised, I thought investors were like these financial geniuses, like probably these equations and like tax law. Like, I don't know. I made them all out to be CPAs and they're really just people with money <laughs> like that. And they got it through a number of ways. A lot of times inheritance, like it wasn't even because they're a tech genius. Right. And so uh, my first piece of advice is that as a founder, you likely are the smartest person in the room. And to make sure that what you're doing when you're pitching is spoon feeding a story that's very easily digested. So 
a lot of founders have a lot of products in mind that they want to launch and do a lot of services, a lot of opportunity. Refine your message, pick one thing to focus on, tell your story about that. And then on the investor side, I realized that it's really about relationships. And so as a founder, you need to become friends or you know acquaintances with investors way before you fundraise from them. Because if they know you to be a person who's respectable, polite, does what they say they're going to do, has integrity, when you go to fundraise, it's so much faster to get their money than if you just met them and said like, hi, meet me, also write me a check. They're like, yeah, we need a date first. So <laughs> date the investors and... Not, you know, I'm saying that figuratively in terms of getting to one another yes. way before <laughs> at least a year before you fundraise. So those are just some quick pieces of advice. Yeah. And you're okay. So in the background, I'm looking at a big fat check. What is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. We, uh, well, I practice what I preach, right? So I like, I'm a pitch coach and stuff, but I recently won a pitch competition for $10,000 from the Angel Congratulations. for Fem Health Insights, the software we're building. So yeah, if you want to learn how to pitch and win giant white checks like that one behind me, you can join our virtual community community and actually become a FemPro member. It's only $15 a month, super accessible, where I have um, dozens of webinars that I've done on Pitch Deck 101, Pitch Coaching, Fundry Strategy. So my methodologies work because I just won that last week. So it's pretty great. That's awesome. Congratulations. So, okay, we should wrap up, but I guess I'm, I want to know, what is your, it's been a busy three years. What do you think you know, pie in the sky. What do you think is going to happen in the next three years for you oh in particular? <laughs> well, <laughs> I so I'll, I'll say that I think there's going to be more unicorns, more billion dollar women's health companies, which will just excite everyone because that's what gets the headlines. But the headlines are what tells everybody what's going on, right? So the more unicorns, the more publicity, the more awareness we'll have, the more tension and attraction. I think we're going to have some initial public offering exits. So we um, currently, I think there's like 13 publicly traded women's health companies on like the NASDAQ and stuff. We need some more big names because based on like anti like monopoly laws, we can't rely on Hologic and Procter & Gamble in Unilever to acquire everything. We need another big mega ship that can acquire smaller products because we have like three companies in charge of all of FemCare. So we need some more people up there. And for me, I hope that Fem Health Insights gets acquired by a PitchBook or a Bloomberg or a, you know a BCC Research and allows me to continue my research, continue our products, but then be backed with some significant financial support to be, just be even bigger. Yeah, that's my goal. I love that. Somebody write her a check for a hundred million dollars, please. Write it, even a hundred k, y'all. I'll take that. I'll make well, it but, into a hundred million. <laughs> right? I know. Thank you for all of the work that you do. Honestly, you really make a difference, and I think in sort of making sure that people have a place to have conversations, that they see visions for the future and paths forward and sort of making sense of something that we haven't taken the time to make sense of. So I really admire and appreciate all that you do for your work. So thank you for coming on the show and 
sharing what you do with our audience. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can um, I know you mentioned a lot of your websites, but if somebody wants to connect with you, would you point them to LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah. If they want to connect with me, <laughs> just look me up on LinkedIn, Brittany Barreto. And then the best way to stay in touch with like other activities and stuff of my organizations is just to subscribe to Femtech Focus Newsletter. I am a subscriber. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you, and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast, or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.